Hello. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? It's nice to meet you. You too. You too. Very, very, uh, very excited to meet you. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to a very uh, interesting and stimulating conversation, hopefully. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? <laughs> I know. And I said the, the last few people that I've talked with, which actually I shouldn't even say this because we haven't talked yet, but um, we're very guarded around the conversation, you know, and yeah. because it, you know, they all kind of had agenda. And yeah. I'm like, I said to Jamie, Look, find me someone I could just talk to. <laughs> That's me. Okay. Well, good. That's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. So. Well, and I read your story on your website. That's uh, quite a story, and it's pretty yeah. uh, inspiring. So yes, yes, so um, it's it's been a long journey, but it's been a great one. Yeah, even even the uh, homelessness and loss of children. You know, it's uh, it all turns out for the good if you keep going. Helping yes. people is is what I do, uh, and everything has worked out. It seems. Yeah, absolutely. I think everything happens for a reason too. So, you know, my story's not the same as yours, but you know, this fell in my lap. I didn't go looking for it. <laughs> so it's the, you know, those are when, when things fall into your lap and you have no choice, but to figure oh, it yeah. out, you are so inspired when you do to, you know, help other people <clears throat> accomplish the same thing. Yeah. I, I tried to get out of the industry. In fact, I did about um, seven, uh, six years ago. Mm -hmm. I was just burnt out. Yeah. But drag me back in again. Yeah, you I know. know. And it's probably good. Like, you know, taking a little time away. I think uh I actually just said that to my friends over the weekend, where I'm like, you know, I think for all things there there comes a day where you're like, I just can't do it anymore. You know, and sometimes you just need a break. And then once you get that break, uh, you know, you're back in and committed again. So, you know, that's we'll realize how lucky we are. That's that's my wife always says to me, I go, oh got three patients today no you get to see three patients today yeah absolutely wow okay i'll take totally. that for anything yeah. definitely i know we we have a friend he's really southern i live in chapel hill north carolina but i moved here from uh more in from buffalo new york so we have a friend who's very southern and he always says, you get to you know in in his southern accent when you know it's a framework shift where you get to help those people and it really yeah. is opportunity. So, you know. Excellent. Okay. So a couple of questions that I always ask is sure. what's your audience and how long will we be uh, running for? Um, so you mean just in life or in specifically? No, pod uh, uh, podcast wise. <clears throat> Who's the audience? Yeah. And how long are you shooting for? Oh, sure. So like I scheduled an hour to spend together yep. and um, this way we're not rushed and you know how that goes. Usually takes a little while to settle into the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> and then the audience that I have is primarily men, which I, uh, I'm trying to do that on purpose to not necessarily in that way. What I mean is that, so I work with men who struggle with pornography addiction and everything I say applies to women, but that is a very small percentage right now, but it's increasing, but I'm finding more partners are seeking out my podcast and I'm trying to be deliberate in terms of messaging to the men who struggle with pornography addiction. And I've created a new podcast with a colleague and a new website for partners. So really it's men and it's a lot of young men, but, you know, theoretically from 18 to, you know, again, theoretically 55, but some of my oldest, I think my oldest client is 74. So, but it's, men, you know, it's kind of a universal struggle as I'm sure yeah. you. Superb. <clears throat> That's all I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, so did you have um, specific things that you had in mind to chat about or? Uh, not really, because uh, I think that I, I've been doing this oh, God, so much so long uh, that uh, the best conversations and podcasts that's come about is when we have no questions, we have no agenda, we just talk and go there. And uh, I can guarantee you this, this is going to be one of the best podcasts best podcast you've ever done yeah no i, I know that statement. 
Totally. It is a strong one. I love it though, because I have been waiting for uh same thing. Cause I, you know, everything's fair game for me. And, yep. you know, if it, if it's mine to tell, I'll share it. And, oh, yeah. uh, and I will absolutely not hold one thing back from people because, so I started making the YouTube channel, um, Actually, the channel that I made, it was serendipitous, kind of serendipitous in that, you know, I was really kind of stressed out about the person in my life that I was trying to help recover from pornography addiction, which is not an easy thing to recover from. And I made a video for YouTube, but I have been making other videos, you know, and they're being seen by a small number of people. I made a video and I actually just looked it up. I've never watched it, actually. I still I just watched a minute, a second of it. Like, how bad is that video? But it's two minutes and 49 seconds. And I named it how to heal your brain from pornography. And then, you know, I went along my merry business and I get this email from YouTube, you know, that the video had been seen 50,000 times or something like in, you know, a very short amount of time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are actually responding to this. And so since then I started making consistent videos But this is what I think is the coolest thing is that the first people who followed me on that channel were sharp and positive and added all these comments. You know, it could have gone either way is the reality, but the people who showed up there made it so that it became this awesome community and honestly made it so that I came back and made more and more videos. And, you know, since then it's taken off and I've been able to just help people just on that channel alone. What made, what made you get into this helping people? Well, I, that's, that's why I said, I really only did it because someone I know, and I, I, I wrote a version of the story because some of it's not mine to tell. I think people's stories are people's stories. So, you know, if you know, Brene Brown's work, I put that person's story in the vault and I share my component of the story. <clears throat> so, you know, this person was in my office and ended up just telling me that, you know, right there that, you know, I watch porn and I'm like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? But I have a practice with my husband where I offer neurofeedback brain training therapy. And I've been doing that since we moved to Chapel Hill eight years ago. So like, you know, I cared about this person a lot. So I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? And then just the personality type that I am, I started to look into it and then I couldn't stop because it is so convoluted it, it it has so many working parts. It has so many intricacies. So, you know, simultaneously, as I'm like getting roped into all the research and, and you know, the real implications of this, yeah. my friend is going to all these professionals, getting the worst advice known to mankind, getting worse, being told what he wants to be told. And I'm sitting here like, you know, I'm figuring it out and all the opposites happening in the real world. So you know, instead of getting frustrated and mad, I channeled all that energy into solution. Exactly the same with me with alcoholism. Exactly the same thing. Nobody's listening. Nobody knows what they're talking about. Nobody has the time or money to, to delve into the real problem because there's no money in, in the solution. God forbid that the pharmaceutical companies can't give you a pill or charge <laughs> you insurance to go. And God forbid that lifestyle would ever exist. So I've been against that all my life. Yep. And, uh, you know, we have a solution. We have a 97% success rate. It's unheard of. And we, we're the only company that offers a money-back guarantee. Unheard of. Yep. It's like, well, if nobody's going to take us seriously, uh, we're going to prove it. And we've been doing that for many, many years. So it's amazing. Yeah, that's, a, that's a beautiful. Yeah. So do you work with, do you mainly work with people with alcoholism or have you springboarded that into Porn addiction, because porn addiction is different. Like I know it's different, but the same, but it has sex addiction in and of itself. Then how that kind of rolls over into pornography consumption. It's got some different working parts. Do you work with people? Yeah, no. Well, we work with anybody with an addiction or depression, uh, which usually come from addiction. So we're in that arena. What we can't touch and we've tried is, is porn addiction because we found that something that's already planted in the central nervous system and brain, how do you stop that? Now, with alcoholism, it's obviously with a hypothalamus telling someone to drink, so we're against the brain, uh, but only natural after a certain period of drinking. But with, with 
porn, no, I, I wouldn't know how to go there because changing the brain, uh, changing the way we think is, is my speciality. But with porn, that seems like very hard work. Yeah. And, and that's what I think I add to this space. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to make money. Like I, I wish I was, cause it would just be easy. <laughs> and I tell people all the time when I talk to them, I'm like, this is what you need. And it's a thing that I don't make any money off. I'm like, I know this is a terrible business plan, but please go do this. Cause this is what's going to help you. But, you know, I, I felt like as I started digging into this, I'm like, literally I, all the stuff I've been doing in my life, I probably have been doing for this moment, the moment when the porn thing landed in my lap. I'm like, I literally I'm made for this. And it took me months to gain the courage to even, I, I secretly became certified as a sex addiction recovery coach. I said to my husband, I'm doing a thing. I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it. Would you like me to tell you? And and because he knows he'll probably try to shut me down. He's like, no, don't tell me. Just, Just if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> so I, you know, I mentored under leading professionals. So anyways, the point about that is that to get to the brain, you know, I've been training on how to rewire a brain at the level of the brain for a long time. And I have, have risen in the ranks to, you know, one of the foremost people who are able to do that. So I'm like, this is where it needs to be applied. And I've worked with people with ADHD, um, with addictions, but in a different way, anxiety. I work with people of many, many different types of challenges, but, you know, porn's the place where I can make the impact in the world. And so what I tell people is to buy this headband. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this. It's called a Muse, M-U-S-E, Muse. Muse headband. Buy it directly from the, the company. And because I have now told so many people I'm a Muse ambassador. I'm one of their biggest referral sources. So I have an affiliate link that they've given me where people can get 15% off. So, you know, that it is what it is there. But, but when people get the headband, it basically takes what I've been doing in my office for years, which costs thousands of dollars just because the equipment that's necessary. And now people can do it in their homes by themselves for under 250 US dollars. And right now that headband's on sale during holiday time for $80 off. So I've made a few videos. If you're interested in that headband, go get it because it's 170 right now. And what it does is it has five sensors in the frontal lobe, two in the temporal lobes. So we know in pornography addiction and in all addictions, but especially in pornography addiction, the frontal lobe is being impacted in terms of structure and function the reward center in the brain is being desensitized, which can be accessed through the temporal lobes. It's just right in there. So when people start using the headband, what it does is it teaches their brain to make more of optimal electrical processing speed. And it brings the brain out of the extremes of the too fast and the too slow. So over time, it's literally like a workout for the brain to bring it out of the mode that will push it back into the screen, like I always say, and um, make it so that people still have to learn. I wish that was the only thing they can do, but they do have to learn how to change their thinking, how to change their routines and habits, their behaviors, look at trauma in their life, explore it, resolve it. But when your brain's moving into that medium speed for better processing, it can be done. Wow. It's amazing. I use mine all the time. I just started posting my, so it, the muse had been creates a graph of brain functioning. Every time you do a session, it'll give you a graph and it'll show you your brain will go from more active, kind of that anxious mode that drives you towards something to take the edge off. And within the session, the goal is to have it decrease and to become calmer and more focused more stable. And so I just recently started posting my graphs from my training sessions on my Instagram account just for fun, because it's a good way to show how the brain goes from more active to a reset. And we know from neuroscience that it can, if you get good at it, it can take three minutes to reset your brain out of that mode. Yeah. Awesome. I'd I'd like to look into that. Yeah. You'll love it because it would absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and definitely it, it. And the thing is too, you know, when we work with people, you know, I know this from, from working with people for a long time, they like to have a thing that they can go do at home where they oh, yeah. don't have to think about it. So you put this headband on, it does all the work for you. And 
people really enjoy it. They, people tell me all the time, men tell me (laughs) all the time, I don't get what it's doing. I don't know how it's helping me, but I know it is helping me. So the headband you wear at home, how does, how does the, uh, how does the uh, system work? Is it like an app or is it, uh, how does that work? Yeah, Where it's an app. It's an go? app on your phone, and you can set the sessions for whatever lengths you want. And there's different soundscapes they call them. And so, like the other day, the one that I showed, I was actually in the mountains, so I chose campfire with music. And so then, <clears throat> when your brain is moving towards that better mode, you birds are the reward. So I'm listening to campfire sound. I'm listening to music. Yes. When my brain's optimizing, you hear birds. And so people know that. And every time you get into this better mode, then the goal is you do it over and over and over and you're creating these new neural pathways, <clears throat> but it's on an app and you can see your graph immediately. And then really, I think the, the main thing that I can add to this space, and there's two goals of mine long-term is that I, I offer a coaching program where I can pull up people's brain graphs in my online portal and I can go through all their graphs with them. So what I do is I'll go, Oh, you know, your brain was in a good shape, good shape that day. That was a more stressful day. That day was a relapse. I just talked to a guy last week and his brain was 81% calm. That's very calm, like very calm. That's a very good graph. Most people's are like, you know, on average, I would say, you know, if you just think about it, like 50% calm would be average. If you're really anxious, you're in the, you know, 10 to 20% or lower. And it was 81%. And it was the first time I talked to him. And I'm like, do you think this is you being calm or is this relapse? You know, when he looks at me in the eyes, he's like, it's relapse. (laughs) And so you can see a brain goes from 5% calm and the next day it's 81% calm. Now think about what's happening in the brain. If it changes that graph, that's a dopamine flood that knocked out the frontal lobe And you can see it with your own eyes. So I also know what happens for people is when they see that, that has real power because they can see how, first of all, their brain needs it and it's a compulsion. And secondly, they can see, yeah, it's knocking my brain out. That's artificially induced calm. I want to. I want to headbands now. Yeah, exactly. I know. And, but don't and, go, let them go to use useheadbands.com or something like that. No, you know what I think it is? Um like if you if you Google search Muse headband, it'll come up. And um, but I can send you the link where you get 15% off if you are would interested you? in that. That would yep. be awesome. And then you can put more than one user on one headband. So like wow. if it's for a person in the same home, yeah. Uh, you know, I have I don't know if you know this, I have six beautiful children. So like, you know, I can put all my kids on one headband and you get your separate logins. It's such a good investment. You know, I tell people, I get it's an investment, but if you can't invest in an expensive coaching program, if you can't, you know, save your money, get this headband and use it, it will literally be the difference maker for you. I love that. Uh, uh, okay. Can, if you can send me the link, that would be yeah. awesome. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. I, I was looking for something like that because we do mainly remote uh, 95% of our work is remote and has been yeah. for eight years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I need, I need this. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it really is. <clears throat> okay, good. And, you know, I think, I think that's how I can add to this space, you know, cause there's yes. great coaches out there. I don't even really have a desire. I do have coaching programs or digital programs. And then mm-hmm. I, I don't even really want to fill the space <clears throat> of coaching. I want to fill the space of brain training coaching. Yes. So that people can, you know, I help optimize your brain while you work with, you know, a coach who feels great to you. And I plan on bringing some coaches on, but, you know, that's really the space. And then the other thing I did was I started a nonprofit organization and I really hope to raise as much money as humanly possible to prevent, because like you said, porn's really hard to get out of the brain, very difficult. And so I'm like, I'm going to help people, but I'm also going to create this nonprofit, which I've already been raising money for to get programs into youth organizations, into psychologists' hands, urologists' hands, churches' hands, so that kids can learn how damaging this is before they have a dependency. Yeah. Excellent. And that's where I'm primarily going in the future once I get things set up. (laughs) 
Okay, are we doing it? Are we, are we doing it? Are we already started? Are we are we podcasting and this this the show? Yeah, go ahead. You can do you lead. I'll follow. Is it recording? Oh no, yeah. You I, lead. You lead. Yeah, I've been recording the whole time. So okay. and we can so, purpose it into whatever you'd like. And like you said, I think this is great stuff. No, you have to lead. Give me give me a leader in at least. None of our yeah. races. Sure. Yeah. So like I, if you're, I don't know if you're willing to share kind of what you think might be your, you know, and I know from your experience, when, when you have this experience, you know, things that other people don't know about recovery. And what do you think like is the biggest thing that you can lend to people in terms of, you know, kind of that, you know, like I, I said, you know, brain training is kind of my wheelhouse. It's the thing that I can add. Do you have a sense of what you think yours might be? Definitely. I mean, it comes from my my past, obviously. So, you know, took my first drink at nine. I'm an alcoholic. What most people don't know is alcoholics are born this way. Like, you can't drink enough alcohol to become an alcoholic. It's impossible. Uh, you can abuse alcohol and you can uh, be the weekend drunk. But to be an alcoholic means something different. And that's where people get mixed up with it. If I ask anybody what's an alcoholic, they, the answer is usually the same. Somebody who drinks too much alcohol. Mm-hmm. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism. So people often ask me, you know, what's the, what's the gateway drug, Dr. Rob? What, what is it? Is it marijuana, Rob? What is it? Mm-hmm. It's trauma. That's what we place back generations and generations. And there's a lot that goes on from early trauma from being born this way. And drug addicts are not the same. The, the alcoholic brain is born, hereditary, trace it back, predisposition. The drug brain or addictive brain can be made throughout lifetime. So I can take a drug from the doctor, he stops me, I go to the streets, I get an addiction. They both present the same towards the end, but at the beginning, they are not the same. When I took my first drink, the whole world just, just changed and I knew I needed this. Casual drug users don't do that. I'll do it Saturday and Sunday, I'm taking these opioids from the doctor. And it starts from there. So that was one of my main things when I got sober, was looking back. There was, there was a time I was, I was homeless and I was outside this liquor store at 5 a.m. I'm wearing a pair of shorts and a vest. I'm sweating profusely and it's snowing. So I know there's something wrong with my body and I'm going to go into DTs anytime. The guy opens the store early because he knows me. not supposed to serve alcohol. I walk in, I put my 10 pounds on the counter and he puts the bottle of vodka on the counter. As I'm sliding the 10 pounds over, I grab the handle of the bottle, and this was my reaction. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Headache stops, sweat stops, great mood in seconds, two seconds, if that. I remember looking at the shopkeeper, looking back at the bottle with my hand on it, still not opened, but back in my back, and I, and I looked at the bottle, and I went, oh, my goodness, it's not the alcohol. And that was my biggest awakening, because by then, I'd lost everything. Mm-hmm. My kids had been taken off me. My wife had left. The houses, cars, hobby homes, medical license, everything was stripped of me in the UK, and I was homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was important knowledge for me to know. So I knew there was something deeper into alcoholism and addiction than anybody had ever touched right now in the medical fraternity. Mm-hmm. So when I got well and got off the streets, I absolutely aggressively attack this. I went back to school. I got my second PhD in behavioral science. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that you can't discount the central nervous system from the disease. I have a biochemical reaction, not to the alcohol, as most people think, but to the ethanol in alcohol. That's mm-hmm. where my brain is rewired. So once trauma starts, uh, that's where the addiction really, really gets hold of you. Because when you look back and people say, well, I've never been in a car accident or a plane crash or anything like that. So I haven't got much trauma in my life. Your parents telling you that you're not good enough to go to college like your brother is huge trauma to the alcohol. So, for instance, me and my brother stood on the kitchen table and my mom walks in. We're not supposed to be on the kitchen table. So she walks in and she says to both of us in this tone or to my brother, will you get down off that table? Stupid idiot. Get down. And he jumps down smiling. I, I freeze in fear because what my brain has heard is, get out of that table, you stupid idiot. That's my trauma and stuff around that. So trivial trauma to the alcoholic brain is huge. No such thing as big T's and small T's with the alcoholic brain. They're all huge T's that define my future. Mm-hmm. To the extent 
that when, let's say girls, they always come to me, why do I keep attracting the same guy? The guy that's an alcoholic, the guy that eventually beats me up, I go, what was your father like? What? Oh, <clears throat> everything we see and learn as a child predicts our future. You know? It's like today, if, if I hang around nine depressed people, I will become the 10th. If I hang around successful people, I will be successful because the mirroring part of the brain will pick that up. So my forte was, how do we get to that part of the brain when it comes to when it comes to alcoholism that we can change? So the neuroplasticity is again is what I specialize in, changing the neural pathways, making sure that the hypothalamus, which is kind of fight or flight part of the brain, it tells as a kid or baby, it tells us to drink water and eat food. That's a it's a fight or flight. It's a part of the brain. After a certain point, as an alcoholic, we cross over, the hypothalamus tells us to drink alcohol. And that is why I can go as a drinking alcoholic days or weeks without food or water, because my brain's telling me alcohol is all you need, and you need it now. Right, now right. my central nervous system's jacked up, so my body gets sick, because if I stop the alcohol, I could die. And right. that was, my, that was the, my offer to the world is, Let's really find out more about this, then pass it on. Then let's try it as a, a program and a method that we use. And over 7,000 people later yeah, were in a position to go, hey, this, this is it. This yeah, is so it. how did you – so first of all, I have two, two thoughts here. So in terms of the, the trauma that you did experience, like do you have a sense of what made your – nervous system see those you know interactions with your parent in those like that's hypervigilance you know your nervous system's already hypervigilant waiting yeah. for like you know the shoe to drop do you have a sense of what created that and how did you resolve that well obviously my brain being born that way alcoholism in the family kind of starts it off but and here's the big but eight years ago i went to the meadows because the trauma came back again and I wanted the best place in the world to go to just before I cracked. So I went there. This is what I found out that never knew. Mm -hmm. I was telling the story to one of the therapists who was very good in the child work and trauma that I used to go to school in uh, shoes and socks with holes in, in the snow. I used to walk two miles to school in the snow and I was freezing and my feet were just dead when I got there. Mm -hmm. But my mom and he said, did your mom and dad drink a lot? I said, well, they went Friday and Saturday and Sunday to the bar with all the friends. And he said, okay, well, did they go to the bar with holes in their shoes and socks? And it hit me that that trivial part of my uh, early childhood is what got I never felt as if I fit in. And the other thing used to drop off with a friend. Oh, we're dropping off with the Joneses tonight. You have a great time. We'll pick you up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The Joneses used to make us get all naked in the house and run around because they did. And I thought that was normal. That was horrendous childhood trauma my priest who molested me she never believed them horrendous trauma so yeah. when i found out myself oh, yeah, the deep trauma mm -hmm. that i wasn't addressing because mm -hmm. how many times trish have you heard oh i've dealt with that i've dealt with that oh, yeah. yeah if you if you ever say you've dealt with that you haven't dealt with that well that's what you i know? tell people <laughs> and, and that and that that's the truth you know and that's why um I'm like, so do, I always say to people, do you ever think about it? They're like, yeah, all the time. Well, then cool. people tell me too. I've tucked it in the back of my brain. I'm like, that's not good because it's festering back there. Like, you know, it has to come out of your nervous system so that it's resolved. And, you know, I, I've always said the same thing. I always, you know, talk about how I'm the black sheep in my family yeah. and trauma's unassuming. You know, like if you look at my family, it's literally like I grew up in the Brady Bunch, but I never fit. And I... All, you know, a lot of the things of what you're talking about was just, you know, I started working on that at the age of 18, kind of bringing myself out. And there was a lot of trauma associated with my growth out of the family unit, too. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you have similar things in your journey towards, you know, becoming something different than the generations before, yeah. you know, on the way out that creates even more traumas while, you know, while you're trying to escape the perceiving small traumas it becomes bigger and I've dealt with most of it but I know the things that are still in there and I'm compensating and for not, them but daily, you know I always tell people if, if you ever seen a deer get hit by a car and it doesn't die it just got hit by a car it's, it goes across the road it will stay it will stay motionless for about four or five seconds 
Then it jumps up, then it shakes violently for about five seconds. We don't do that as humans. We do not, you know, psychologically shake that trauma off. Now that day when it goes along the way, we'll never think about that. So yep. We, and you're we absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I know. That we stuff is, it down, we stuff it down, we stuff it down. It's like, a, I always tell people, it's like a, it's like a, a zip file on a computer screen. You know, you put all your stuff in there. Some stuff you don't want to see right now. Yep. And all of a sudden, because you're bored one day, you'll click on and all this stuff comes out and you can't handle that all at once. Yep. I know. And I'm the person who tries to talk about those things. And I still try to do it cautiously, recognizing people can't handle the zip file. So I'll just kind of bring one file at a time. But most of the people in my world can't even handle one file. You know, so and that's emotional maturity. I'm always talking with people about, you know, being able to handle stuff better. It's emotional maturity. And you have to learn how to handle the small stuff. Most of the people, you know, like to bring it back to porn addiction, it's very much like that. And the mechanisms in the brain that once the idea of escapism into the screen becomes the go-to mm. that, you know, those neurochemicals get flowing before you even get into the screen. And basically you can't stop because the solution's already, you know, the solution, you've already got the solution before. And what happens is, you know, there's so much neurochemicals, dopamine, you know, in particular flowing in the brain when you know, you're going to get relief in the screen from the pain that's being you know, stuffed down that it pulls you, you know, pushes you into the screen because the solution's at hand and breaking that pull, like you're talking Mm -hmm. about is crucial. You know, I always, one of the first things I try to help people with is creating a pivot plan. You know, the way I talk about it is we have to have a defensive plan and more importantly, we need the offensive plan, but it takes a while to set up the offensive plan. So while we're getting all of those, we're resolving trauma, family dysfunction, you know, start brain training, start looking at your routines and habits, pattern interrupting, just figuring out a defensive plan to try to stay out of the screen, to let the brain unwire that pattern. And it's very difficult for many people. We did, we did some research. We, uh, we've done tons of research. We, we uh, registered and kept hold of five alcoholics and addicts <clears throat> that came to us but didn't want to do the program. And we were obviously knew they were going to relapse. So we asked to monitor them. Uh, and we did. And mm-hmm. what we found was just what you've said, that when the thought pattern comes, first of all, for a relapse, it's ne- it, alcohol will never comes to me. Monday and go, hey, Robert, have a drink. It's a week or two weeks before behavior changes. That's where we get them. But mm-hmm. we, we watched them, that the thought came, the drive to the liquor store or the dealer, the, 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 the buying, the drinking, or the drug use, the most intoxicating part of that, where the brain was alive, was the trip to the liquor store. Absolutely. And people are like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, it. definitely. Like you said, so you said the brain goes, oh, yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's get them chemicals flowing. We're almost there. It's the definitely. same thing with me with a hand on the bottom. Definitely. I, I relaxed because I knew I had it in my hand. Yep. And, and so you know. Therefore, surely it, it doesn't become the drug. Yeah, the, the ritualization <laughs> part, you know, when people are getting, they have the thought and now they're moving towards it. That is the most, you know, intoxicating part for people. And that's why I tell people you have three seconds, you know, the second that thought hits, it's actually probably less than that, but you know, the second the thought hits, you have to fit, interrupt the pattern in terms of the physical and the mental space that you're moving towards. You have to move away from that. And of course it's not as simple as that, but that's one aspect of it. It's funny because we, we, we did the research on the timeframe from thought pattern to a solidified thought pattern Mm -hmm. as in it's going to happen. And, yep. and we roughly, sometimes it was three seconds, sometimes it was eight. We, we call it, we have a, a saying, say 7.3 seconds. Once you recover, not, this is not before, it's probably two or three seconds. Once you recover, where you have a choice. So snap that elastic band that we send you in the central nervous system, all of a sudden start to jog. Then you've got a 7.3 seconds to make that uh, real good instead of self-sabotage because that's what it is. As we both know, it's not so much the alcohol, it's the self-sabotage. Why do I hate me? so much that I want to self-sabotage and, and I might start building this great future. I did had a great job, million dollar house, you know, just before I was homeless and I self-sabotage it because I don't think I'm worthy. And I don't think one of the biggest things, Trish, for me is I'm never going to be blonde enough, tall enough, thin enough, or rich enough. And when I <laughs> when I came to terms with that, oh my goodness, life life got a lot better. I know. I tell people all the time, like, and one of the lessons in my digital program is on, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know all this, but 
on inner child work and finding your true authentic self. You have to figure out who is the, the you that you can really love and then figure out how to become that person in the world. And it's difficult for most people to do that. And that's why I was saying like on that journey that I started at 18 years old, that was me going, I don't fit in here. So I need to start backing myself out, figure out who I am and figure out where I fit in. And of course it's a journey. It never ends, but, but, you know, it becomes easier when you can do a thing that you, you love, you know, I always tell people you have to get on purpose in your work, your relationships and your hobbies. Those are the aspects, you know, taking this concept of your true authentic self, because concepts are difficult for people, especially for people who are addicted to, you know, anything. So when you take a concept and you make it an action step, it's much easier to change a person's identity and identity is another lesson that I use with people. And so then in taking the new action steps, the purposeful ones, uh, you know, in your work, your relationships and your hobbies, you start to create step-by-step, you know, action by action, the new version of yourself, very difficult for many people. But once you do that, once you go, okay, this is me, this is me world. I'm okay with it. (laughs) Yeah. Freedom, freedom from bondage of all that stuff that you've been carrying around. And people think it's a, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to do. Well, it's not, you know, proven time and time again that this works, but you know, how lucky are we, Trish, to find the niche that we belong to? Definitely. I tell people every person should be in recovery. Like, yeah. you know, everyone has an addiction. Everybody does. And everybody has the seeds of this stuff in them. And it's being acted out, you know, now with just, you know, phones and social yeah. media and people are, the world's going to be hurting in a couple of years because of all those behaviors for sure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you get into recovery and you start doing this work, and then especially as you start loving it, and like you said, which is interesting actually, but um, you said, you know, getting back into help at the Meadows before you cracked. And that, that's an interesting, I'd love to know a little yeah. more about that, you know, before is better than after, right? Like, especially in this journey, because the journey never ends. So when you find new layers of yourself that, that can be explored, that you're ready to explore. And I always tell, you know, when I'm talking to people or when I'm recording anything, I'll say, you know, you know what happened last week to me is I had an experience and I'm like, I have to work on that in me. You know what I mean? Like just the recognition of, and it's kind of like, it's good and bad, but that self-awareness of here's another wound to be healed, or here's another direction to move towards instead of escape from. And, you know, with me, I have so many kids that they're literally every single day I'm trying to parent in the polar opposite way that I was parented. So I'm very cognizant about all of that, you know, what happened in my childhood and then trying to, to flip that in the way that I parent. So, you know, conscientious parenting with all this stuff, but I tell people all the time in my comments on YouTube, I always write to them, you deserve it. And I, because I think people don't hear that from themselves or anybody else. Like, you know, I'm like, I I would love for you to, you know, subscribe, keep watching these videos so you can become the best version of yourself. You deserve it. And I want the whole world to know whatever you actually have in there, you literally deserve to be able to find out and do and save yourself a world of hurt. You know, we don't hear that enough. I remember being in the office in Dallas and there was two nurses and I heard one say to the other, did you see Dr. Rob, that guy was suicidal when he went in. He came out, he's whistling, he's, he's saying bye to everybody. It's just amazing. And the other nurse, who was a veteran, says, oh, yeah, did you tell him that? Oh, no, no. I mean, he already knows, but we don't know. Guys exactly. are at home. You know, people say, oh, that's amazing. I need to hear that stuff. It's nothing to do with my ego. It's just we don't know how well we're doing unless people tell you. Yep. So I, that's why I love these podcasts where you can get down to the nitty-gritty yeah, you know, definitely. And, and talk about it because there's a bunch of stuff out there that people do not know when it comes to, to addiction. Everybody has one, like we yep. just said, everybody has one. Yep. But it's yeah, and last on Thanksgiving last week, my dad told me that he loves me. It's probably like the fifth time in my entire life. He's wow. 81, I'm 48. And I know it's really difficult for him. And, you know, so I tell my kids, I love them all the time. I text them, I, I think you're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I call them, hey, beautiful, or, you know, I I call them terms of endearment and affection all the time because I 
not a once was I ever called anything. And my parents weren't, there was nothing necessarily bad, but never being told you're loved by your parents is traumatic, especially when you want to hear that. You want to hear, yeah. I love you. I'm glad you're in this world, you know. Well, they, they took my children up when it was age one and three uh, because I had them and I was unconscious and they hadn't been fed or changed diapers for two days. Yeah. And the last thing my daughter said to me was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking at the age of three. Uh, so many years on, many, many 20-something years on, she, I'm in America, she's in England, never seen them, never still seen my youngest one yet. But about two or three years ago, she contacted me on Facebook and we flew over there. She, we hugged, we cried. I met my three-month-old granddaughter and uh, she said to me, we were talking because we talked every single day and we still do now. In actual fact, she opened my Manchester office as my chief therapist about four months ago. And I said, what was the worst part for you? And she says, you never spent time with us. And I said, what? I built you a playhouse you know, proper bricks and mortar playhouse at the back of the house so you could play with your friends. And she said, Dad, oh. she said, she said, Dad, you built that playhouse so you could drink. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. So like today, I tell people, when's the last time you told you you love your wife or your kid? Oh, yeah, they know. No, I'm sorry, but that isn't good enough. We need to be verbal. You know, if you go back to the Bible days, God said that there'd be light. He didn't write a letter or, you know, think, oh, and he only knows that we need light. We, we should be pretty good with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. has that connection or the text. And, uh, that's an interesting concept, too, because, like, my parents are busybodies. They never, they were around all the time on their own agenda. But spending time with uh, me wasn't a thing. And, you know, I, I, I have six children, three boys, three girls. So does so my husband and I both come from families of three boys and three girls. Like, you know, wow. like it's like family dysfunction recreating itself without even knowing it until I figured it out. But so my point about that is I will purposely just sit like, if, and, you know, now they're teenagers. So if you try to make them sit with you, it does, it's not, it doesn't work. You have to sit with them <laughs> when they are. Uh, you know, so a couple of weeks ago, my son's like, I could use new sneakers. I could use a new sweatshirt. And we were sitting around and I had already said in my mind, I should have been working. I didn't have appointments, but I, sh- I had stuff to do in my mind. I'm going, I got to go work. I got to work. And then I said to myself, I'm not getting up until he does. So, so now I'm in this and I was having the blast too. And so then he goes, you know, I need, I need a new sweatshirt. I need sneakers. I said, let's go to the mall right now. And he's like, what? I go, let's go. And then he's 17 and he's like, I'll drive. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, I'll drive. I'm the parent. But then I'm like, okay. And then we had the best time. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, four hours later, we're still having a good time. And, you know, the work will always be there. It'll be there tomorrow. I'll be fine. I'll get it caught up. Yeah. But that moment won't be there. And then, you know, all the other days he's out with his friends where if I try to go, you want to go to the mall right now? I'd be like, no, I can't. I know. And I, I, I ended not, up doing that three nights in a row. It cost me like a thousand dollars. Oh my goodness. But like you said, it's not that, you know, I always well, not with him. The next night I did it with my daughter. Oh, the okay. next night I did it with my other son. They're like, I, I heard you took Declan to the mall yesterday. And, and I'm like, you want to go? She's like, sure. And then my other, you know, they all needed stuff. We never went back to school shopping, but anyway. And that's, that the things you're going to remember. Because was so I always share with, share with my, with my patients. Me and my friend about five years ago, we found an old photograph of me and him back in the day, you know, the teenage days. And I said, look at this, Paul. And he went, oh, my God. And I said, God, look how thin we were. Look how, look how amazing. Look how, I'm, look how amazing. And he said, God, those are the days, Rob. And I thought, wow. But we didn't know that at the time that those were the days. What if today's one of those days? Yep. And it's changed our lives. It's like, what is we look back? Like me and you, Trish, what if we look back in 10 years' time and go, I'm going to come to say, God, that was awesome. hundred percent. Yep, I agree. Oh, I try and recognize that today. Me and too. kind of what you did with your kids. It's like, come on, let's go. Yep. But now, why not now? Definitely. You know, that's one, of my, that's one of my mottos. There's a song by Macklemore and Kesha. Not that it's like the world's best song, but it's called the, it's called the good old days. And it's about right now being the good old days and not yes. even knowing it. And, you know, since I heard that song years ago, I'm like, it's literally the good old days right now, especially my kids are, will all be moving out within the next, you know, five years, basically yeah. all my first four kids are all a year apart and they're all moving 
on to college and all that. So like, you know, this is the good old days. These are kind of the easier years where I'm not parenting a bunch of babies, but they're still in the house. And that's why, you know, I'm looking at them like, I am going to spend as much time with you as possible because he's the son who's leaving for college next year. Let's go do this, you know? So. What a great place to be, you know, and recognizing today and living in the moment. And because that's where one day at a time comes from. Most people think it's an AA thing. It's not an AA thing. One day at a time is nothing to do with drinking. One day at a time is enjoying myself right now at 11.46, my time, on with you, you know, just, just having a chat. It's amazing when you slow life down and realize exactly what's going on, you know, life becomes a lot better because my racing brain will have me drunk in days. Yep. You know, and we have to slow everything down and just if something happened this morning. My, my, I get my I get my I get my today last night. So last night my day comes through today, blah 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 blah. And then I start the day and then she work the assistant comes in. Can you fit John in today? No. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Book him in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm not changing my routine for today. And that's what's kept me on track because we need well, I need that regular routine every day of what I'm doing. Yeah. Because I know my idle brain or my really mixed up fast brain when I'm trying to get everything done and that, that's when my brain's susceptible to alcoholism. And that's when it will attack. Even all these years on, it's still attack. I tell this story, uh, Trish. It's like this here is my is my self-sabotaging neural pathways. There are billions, in case you don't know, guys. Uh, so this is the way I'm born. This is my immediate reaction to anything that happens in my life. And then when we go through my program, what happens is, the self-care in your pathways then become the immediate reaction. But you see this guy here, he's always there. So self-sabotaging, what happens is if I don't do my certain things or rush around or I don't really take care of myself, have that Sunday self-care day, then I'm back to there. And that means drinking. Absolutely. I know. I know. And I don't know with alcoholism, but I know with porn that there's a transcription factor called Delta Foss B. So I call it like, I call it concrete in the brain because people do get upset with the idea that they can never escape the neural pathways for porn addiction that they've built, especially people who've, you know, consumed pornography for 40 years. They're like, how am I going to get rid of that pathway? And what Delta Foss B is, it basically lays concrete on that pathway. So it will always be there. But like you said, when you start, and I've, I've I've talked about this lots of times in different videos that I make. When you start traversing or going over the new neural pathways, you know, just like if you didn't go over concrete and it started getting cracks and weeds grew through it, you can weed that thing over. And as long as you don't go on it, the weeds will continue to grow and it won't fire itself back up as long as you keep taking the new neural pathways. But that's why setting the foundation and like you said, routine, when you set the foundation for your life. And, you know, that's why for me, it's easy to generalize it as purposeful work that you love to get up and do relationships that feel good to you and serve your soul, you know, don't drain you and torture you and hobbies that you actually do. And that's the self-care that, you know, when you have self-care and you go do the things that are good for you and you enjoy, then you'll stay on the new neural pathways. And if you stop doing those things, that foundation breaks down exactly like you just showed, you're going to go back over. And if you start, if you start going over that old neural pathway, it has concrete under the weeds. It'll fire back up quickly, unfortunately, very quickly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, but but you can weed it over. So, you know, you don't have people get, people I work with, many of them will get depressed or hopeless. And I think Mm -hmm. hope is very important. Very, very important. I think I call myself a pragmatic optimist. I'm not going to give you a bunch of hope without the things you need to do to also, you know, because people, you know, email me back. Are you just, you know, encouraging me? I never would do that. I would not encourage you unless I thought there was a reason to have hope for you with you. And, you know, I'm not going to give false hope, but you know, that's the reality is that if you build this foundation and when people relapse after any amount of time, it's usually because something's come out of the foundation or even like in your case, if there's old trauma that you haven't resolved, the goal of a recovery program, any good one, is to build the skills to deal with old trauma. Even if that skill is, I get myself to a professional before I crack, not after, and especially increasing self-awareness. And, you know, that's why I joke with guys that I coach because I'll, I'll joke, you know, oh, the students become the master because we'll get on and they'll go, you know, this happened to me and 
this is what I thought about it. And this is what I did. That is what coaching is about in the end. So that in the end, you don't need to get on with me and go, this is happening. I'm going down. You know, sometimes you need to go to that professional, but like I said, you know, just even going, this is too much for me. I need someone to help me. You know, and that's what keeps you on that pathway. And, you know, when I talk to people, I'll say, okay, what happened? And this, this is a true story. I talked to a guy, um, guy I've been coaching for a long time. He's like, uh, I have this new work project. Uh, so I stopped working out. Workouts were the fundamental thing to keep him in the right place. Um, now I have to drive two hours away for work. He was working from home. I'm like, you know, and I, I came up with this thing in the moment, which actually I still need to tell more people about. And it's not rocket science, but, you know, it's the balancing of the scales. So like we set the foundation, it keeps the scales balanced. So he took a couple things off the self-care and put a couple things on the stress and anxiety scale. So not only did he do this, he did this, he, you know, he imbalanced those scales. And that was a really good visual for him. Cause I'm like, if you're going to put something on this side, you have to double down on the, on the self-care you have to. And so now, you know, build the skill of what are all those parameters in his own life? What are those pieces and how do you keep that foundation strong? Yeah. And, and, and the realization that you're going there, going back to the meadows with me, it was the height of my TV career where there's like 18 million viewers are watching me every yeah. week. Uh-huh. And, uh, Amazing. It didn't feel right. The patients, you know, didn't feel right. Everything didn't feel right because I'm listening to all this stuff over years and years. And uh, it started to take a toll. And uh, before anything cracked, I went to see a friend of mine. Um, and he said, you, you, it's trauma or you can't see it in yourself. You need to get help. Uh, and I refused. I said, I'm not doing it. You who I am, you know, who you're talking to, kind of ego stuff. And, and he got worse. And then I'd come on and shout at my wife and mm-hmm. things weren't right. So they, they they kind of did a little intervention on me and said, hey, you got to go. But, which I went, okay, then, well, let's use my insurance. And then they come back and they want to take insurance. And I'm like, there's no way am I, me? Paying to go for treatment? Are you kidding me? I am the treatment. What are you talking about? But eventually, you got me the best thing I ever did. I know. Now it's like you have to pass it on. I've been experiencing. Go, hey, this is what happens when you do this. So I studied under under them to get my somatic experience certification, and it was just. Uh, it's so funny you're like you're like me as soon as i'm helped by something i'm like i'm gonna become trained in that yeah which actually one of my goals as a human being is to just do things and not have to go be trained in them once i you know what i mean like uh to be able to to be a follower and not always have to be a leader and i'm like you know it's so true but same thing for me like you know i was going down a little bit, thankfully. And I, I've told the story once or twice lately where, you know, I had this great summer schedule, but five of my kids are in school. So when school started, that schedule didn't work. I was working in the evenings too, which was perfect for summer. You know, I'd spend a little time in the day and then I would work till 6 37 PM. When school started, it was just falling apart, but I already had weeks of appointments scheduled out. And I'm like, I have to, it took me like two weeks to maybe three where I'm like, I have to change my schedule. And then it still took another two weeks to, for that schedule to, and, and my assistant, Jamie was already like not scheduling people in the afternoons, but, you know, it took like five weeks for me to change the schedule back to a healthy schedule. And that's the, just an absolute breakdown in the balance. Yeah. I was feeling it. And I'm like, but thankfully by the time I, you know, I was able to just escape anything negative, real negative, Someone wrote a comment on YouTube. Are you okay, Dr. Trish? You look stressed. <laughs> I'm like, it's showing <laughs> <up> the street. <laughs> oh, God. You know, so. yeah, I'm intrigued with the, how the brain will get to places. When I, when I was uh, a police officer for a short time, they fired me for being drunk. But mm-hmm. there, was, uh, there was a girl that was snatched up the side of the street, age 17. And big in manhunt. Nobody could find her. After about three or four weeks, they scaled manhunt back. And nobody ever found her. Uh, there was a police officer following a car that had a defect a signal light, turn light. So he pulled him over to check. And in England back then, you don't need any search warrants in car or houses. So he searched the car and found a stolen screwdriver. So they went back to the house and they found more stolen stuff. Just before they were going to go, they see a big box in the corner. It's probably four foot wide by 12 foot long. And he said, what's in the box? And he said, I can't. I don't know. It's nothing to do with me. 
was your house, so you must have more stolen stuff in there. So they smashed the lock, lock off and opened the box, and there was the girl that had been missing all the days. He used to take her out, <coughs> abuse her, you know, stuff like that, put her back in the box. This has been going on for 10 months. Sure. When they opened the box, they were aghast. She was still alive, but she was bruised and battered. The police woman leant over, grabbed her arm, helped her step out this box. What's the first thing she did? Mm. You think? She got back in the box. Yep. It was horrific to watch. And that's kind of what we do in, in all our addictions and stuff like that, is we keep getting back in the box because it becomes a very nice comfort blanket, just like I when know. you were a kid. And to snap, to beat that box up, burn it, smash it to pieces, is what we do. We yeah, said, no, there's no box anymore. And I often hear, you know, people say, get out the box. And I'm meeting someone, I go, yeah, I remember that. that I know, I know. And in my work, I especially my work with partners, because I'm also uh, certified to help partners, I talk about this as thresholds where we we learn and we teach ourselves where our thresholds are. And that can be different at any point in life, but it always goes back to what you think you deserve or your self-worth. And so like in these partners groups that I was working with women and, you know, it was all different levels of sex addiction on part of their partners you know, some of the women's husbands would have sex with prostitutes in their bed. They'd know and they wouldn't leave them. Other women, their husbands would try to sell them on eBay, which apparently on, on Craigslist. Apparently that's been changed where people can't do that anymore. Thank God. But, you know, and I, I would be sitting there like, like, how could you stay, you know, but that's when it comes to abuse within relationships too, that's supposed to be your primary safety and you know that box becomes the safety even if the box is you know a torture chamber or is not good for you it becomes what you know and breaking free from that box wherever that bar or that threshold is we have to change that you know we don't deserve to be in the box you know you have to be able to and I always thought that was pretty wild that people's thresholds are different and you have to change their threshold you know because the you know one woman was physically abused by her husband, but she was physically abused by her parents. So she was mm-hmm. taught that that bar, that threshold was there from childhood, from the childhood trauma. So many people's are, you know, or or like, you know, we already talked about where that that woman that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, she was a medical doctor, the one with the prostitutes in her bed. She didn't want anybody to know that was going on in her life. So like the, you know, and I, I've said this about my mom who, again, you know, like my mom's never done anything overtly, you know, bad to me, but my, my mom loved the idea that we're the Brady bunch. Yeah. So like the appearance of the Brady bunch was more important than some of the crap that was hitting the fan that needed to be dealt with. And I would half joke, you know, back in those days, I would say every episode of the Brady bunch they are solving their problems, their family. Yeah. Problems. Like literally that's what the Brady Bunch is about. Yeah. So yeah. somebody help me solve this problem. My family could not do that. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. The knowledge yeah. we have nowadays is phenomenal. Yeah. So I, I often say, I don't know whether it's, 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 uh, it's harsh or not, but my generation, uh, my, my age group now that our parents dropped the ball, I don't know if it's because of the war or because of the, you know, I don't know what it was, but they dropped the ball and bring us up. They didn't know any better, maybe. I don't know. That's probably going on for years and years. But, you know, we found so much more about the brain and trauma and the central nervous system over the last, I don't know, 10 years than, than any other generation knows. So we, we see these things happening. And Yeah, like it is. Said, it's true. I, yeah. And I've heard it characterized as uh, like in JFK's time, it was the era of SpaceX exploration. So all the money that they were raising, you know, it always comes down to the almighty, you know, dollar where all the money that they were raising at that time was so that they could, you know, do space exploration. And then in Obama's generation, they called it the era of the brain because the money, the funding was going to learning about the brain. And, you know, when there's money to research it, that's where, the attention goes and, and again, yeah, you know, it's, it's long overdue. And now that people are into it, you know, I would think that the sky is the limit in terms of what we can, 
what we can learn about brain functioning. And this is the, this is the difference for me is that, you know, we've been looking at brain structure for a long time. Back in the day, I was a university professor for a long time and I would teach neuroanatomy. And honestly, it didn't occur to me then because I didn't get into neurophysiology till much after this. And then I was going to teach neuroanatomy again. I never did. And, but I said to them, it needs to be neuroanatomy and, and neurophysiology because anatomy is just a small piece of it. Physiology is the large piece, the functioning piece, you know, and, you know, that's where we're moving. Think, figuring out how the brain functions, being able to image brain functioning and then being able to optimize brain functioning. And we're totally there. People just don't know it. And that headband that I told you about, it is a tool at home that you can optimize functioning. And in doing so, then we can ward off a lot of the needs of the brain to make it feel better. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Yeah. Good chat. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I enjoyed talking with you. What time is it? Noon? Do you have clients now? Yeah. Yeah, I I have have 10 minutes. I have one. Yeah. I've taught myself. It's interesting because I'm at a different place because I would be rigid with my routines, thinking about like you talking about your routines and most people probably don't fall into this, but um, some people do where, you know, I knew what I had to do for the day and it would be very difficult for me to, to alter that. And so probably for the last 10 years, every morning, I kind of have this saying in my mind that I'll go where I need to go. I'll, I'll see who I need to see. I'll do what I need to do. Like I'll follow whatever thing comes to me so that I can be less rigid. And this is what I've got going for the day. And especially with so many kids, like on any given day, you know, my one son was home yesterday, a different son's home today. You know, my kids will call the minute I drop them off. I forgot my computer. Can you bring it? I'm like, sure. So like in doing that, it keeps my anxiety down because Mm -hmm. now I've taught myself over 10 years that I actually look forward to the thing that I'm going to be drawn to do, you know, and I've taught myself this new framework of that. Those are the moments like those those can lead to the moments of being the good old days, because if I'm always just working on my routine and my schedule there, you know, it's so concrete. How is there any fun for spontaneity or for so, you know, if I have to go pick a kid up, I make it fun. And those times end up being those times where we can be together. So I thought that that, you know, a lot of people can benefit from setting this routine. And, you know, there's people's brains work differently too. people's brains who are running slow. And those are going to be the people it's difficult to get off the couch. So yeah. speeding them up a yeah. little to engage is the important mm-hmm. part. People who, you know, most people who get into an active mm-hmm. addiction, their brains are running hot. They need to, yeah. to be slowed down. Those are the ones who need the routine, but could also benefit from, you know, opening that up a little. So, All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, it was really um, great uh, talk. I'd love you. to chat with you again know. Uh, when the I time. Think just, I think we just touch the tip of the iceberg absolutely it's just crazy yeah and uh uh, i love talking with people who uh you know are so like-minded but have a Mm -hmm. new perspective and especially from stories like the stories you tell are such good ones that can really help people understand you know what they're going through and that they don't need to go through that and that they can uh you know move in a different direction we, we have a joint patient, I think. I don't know whether they're still recording, but uh, yeah, he he, uh, we, he went through our program. He did about, he did that 90 days and kept on and did our, our coaching certificate, which we run. But uh, he said, you've got to, you've got to find this Trish Lee. You've got to know, like, why? She's you. She's you. I don't want to say she's she, she, you've got to speak to her. So, I know that's great. That's why it makes for big fun. So whenever you have hole, whenever you have holes in your podcast schedule, just let me know because I'm awesome. I'm always I'm always up for it. So definitely, I know that. someone. My friend, my friend owns a huge realty company. She's crushing it. She's making a ton of money. My best friend, and she's like, "So what do the podcast do for you?" I'm like, "In terms of monetizing, nothing." But they're super fun. I love them because yeah. you know she's like, "Should I do podcasts?" I'm like. <coughs> I'm like, you know, they're really just for me because I enjoy them and I get to meet people. And so like, probably not unless you want to do that. And she's like, okay, I'll hold off on that. I think, I think we're going to do, uh, we, we have a Friday podcast, but we've kind of put it away for until New Year because we've got something else building that's going to be huge across the world. Cool. Um, but I think what I might do is if it's okay with you, I'll get Courtney to set us up and let's do, let's do a one hour special with me and you where I can interview. 
because we have millions of, of followers. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that would be awesome, Trish. I'd love to have you on. Like a yeah. special thing you want. And we'll advertise it and blast it across. That would be awesome. Definitely. I would love to, you know, and the world, you know, Lord needs, Lord knows the world needs it because people don't even understand. And, you know, and I know many people with alcohol don't understand that they are struggling with alcohol abuse or alcoholism, Mm -hmm. but people don't know porn is damaging and they don't even understand that it's creating the health issues that they're having in terms of, you know, thinking mental health and physical health. They don't link it back. So I know from my work, people email me every day. I just found your videos. I can't believe what I've been suffering with is a thing, you know, and people need to know this is a thing and it's very dangerous. And the earlier you back it out, the better. And, you know, with you, with alcohol, finding it at nine, I know you have to go, but finding alcohol at nine, what the, what the research for pornography shows (laughs) is the earlier that a person consumes pornography for the first time, it's the exact experience that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The brain gets that rush of neurochemicals, primarily mm-hmm. dopamine. And the younger your brain is that it gets that rush, mm-hmm. the much more difficult it is to yeah. come out of it. <coughs> and so most people don't find alcohol at nine. You know, like you said, most people build alcohol abuse over time. But mm-hmm. now the average age of finding porn is eight years old, eight years old. So their brains are being hijacked. They don't even know. Yeah. And then they're well, being taught growing. they're and you know, their brains are being taught to go back into yeah. the screen to feel good with the chaos in the family. So that's why I created the nonprofit. Cause I'm like, I'm not even in this for a business perspective. No. I just want to make the biggest impact that I can yeah. and going upstream. These kids need to know the first time you see it, don't go back again. And the second time the brain recalibrates and that's when it really locks in that oh, neural yeah. pathway. Yeah. Okay. Good well, stuff. have an amazing day and let's uh, talk too. again. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye Rob. Bye-bye.